welcome to the number one show and the source of truth for all things medtech. Here, we reveal the secrets and stories behind the investments, science, and commercialization of the medtech industry. Every week, we'll take you on a wild ride with the biggest names in the game, from entrepreneurs and investors who are shaking up the market, to healthcare providers who are revolutionizing the way we think and practice medicine. So hold on tight and get ready for a journey like no other. This is the State of MedTech. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. And this is another great orthopedic episode. And of course, since it's an ortho episode or anything really that's uh, clinically related, we're adding a CME credit to this. So if you're a surgeon, a nurse nurse practitioner, or a PA, uh, if you need uh, CME credits, go ahead and click the notes below. And you'll see at the very top a link where you can unlock your AMA PRA category one CME credit, which is free, by the way. Uh, our show makes sure that all these uh, continuing education opportunities are free for you, the clinician. So you, all you got to do is click it and submit what did you learn and what are you going to do with the information that you learned. Just take a few seconds and write down what that is, and you'll be able to unlock that uh, credit. So who do we have on the show today? Well, it's an orthopedic surgeon who I've been connected with and following for quite some time, and that's Dr. Kevin Plancher. I'll tell you a little bit about Dr. Kevin Plancher in a second, but the episode is specifically about... OSET, the Orthopedic Summit Evolving Techniques uh, main conference coming up on September 19th to 23rd in Boston called the Ortho Summit. There's a lot of great conferences out there. This one is one of the few that stands alone by itself because they really go out of their way, not only to cover extremely uh, uh, fascinating topics in orthopedics, not just on the clinical side, but also private equity, uh, practice building, but they also have this great format where they encourage uh, intellectual debate. They uh, have very specific rules and guidelines to make sure that it's not just uh, people going up on podium and just uh, pontificating, but more importantly, a lot of engagement and they encourage uh, debate and, 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 you know, and, and, and sort of a new frontier in terms of how do you think about the changing landscape, landscape of orthopedics. That's why they call it evolving techniques. And so it's such an amazing event. I've heard a lot, a lot about it. I'm going to try and hopefully attend it this year. And so I highly encourage you to go check it out. You know, make sure you go to orthosummit.com to learn more. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest today, Dr. Kevin Plancher. You can also learn more about him and his practice practice at his website, plancherortho.com. So Dr. Plancher is a leading orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine expert with uh, extensive knowledge of knee, shoulder, elbow, and hand injuries. What's unique is that he's actually one of only 36 orthopedic surgeons who hold the American Board of Orthopedic Surgeons certification in both surgery of the hand and orthopedics medicine, which is very unique. Uh, he specializes in treating anterior cruciate ligament tears and shoulder injuries, which he sees uh, frequently as he's also a physician for the U.S. ski team and a league physician for major league lacrosse. Diving deeper into his clinical uh, specialties and interests, he specializes in minimally invasive procedures, which include partial knee replacements, arthroscopic rotator cuff repairs, arthroscopic bank art repairs, and endoscopic elbow release for severe tennis elbow. He's also an expert in total and reverse shoulder and knee replacement procedures. And he also developed the arthroscopic technique for releasing a nerve for posterior shoulder pain as a particular interest in adolescent sports injuries and injury prevention for young female athletes. 
Along with his practice, he's a clinical professor for the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at Montfiore Medical Center and Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and is an adjunct clinical assistant professor of orthopedic surgery at Weill Cornell Medical College in New York, and of course, a member of many uh, prestigious national and international societies and associations, and is the founding member for the Educational Enhancement Fund of the American Academy of of orthopedic surgeons. And of course, one of the founders and masterminds behind the orthosomy, which is what we're going to be specifically talking about today. Now, if you're an orthopedic surgeon, you're also looking to develop your thought leadership profile and engage with not only peers, but even industry to get more roles in advising, perhaps learn about new techniques. LinkedIn is one of the premier places to do so. The orthopedic community is blowing up there, especially if you follow the hashtag Joey, Journal of Orthopedic Experience and Innovation. That's Dr. Ira Kirschman bomb who had come on the show in the past i'm going to be giving away today on this this episode a special discount to join my course which is a self-paced course uh, on digital opinion leadership specifically for orthopedic surgeons so if you go to orthodigitalopinionleader.com use the code podcast you're gonna get 50 percent off my course uh, which is normally 297 bucks you'll get it for 148 dollars the course is not only self-paced modules but you also get 25 cme credits unlocked through it plus you'll be able to join a private uh, vip orthopedic community on linkedin where you can connect with and meet other peers in orthopedic surgery and of course be connected with me if you have any questions about how do you develop more of a thought leadership profile on linkedin so go to ortho digital opinion leader Dot com use that code podcast to uh, get ex- get access to the content and unlock those 25 CME credits now with that being said let's get on to our show with dr. Kevin Plancher to discuss the ortho summit enjoy welcome back everybody and I'm very honored very excited to have dr. Kevin Plancher you've seen him a lot on LinkedIn he's one of the uh, main driving forces behind the uh, orthopedic summit and we're gonna talk about sort of the state of orthopedics today there's a lot of exciting things going on both on the technology side clinical side and academic side a lot of it's gonna be shown and talked about the ortho summit if you haven't registered for that yet please check the show notes below I highly recommend doing it I'm actually with my baby and wife I'm gonna try and see if I can fly across the country to check it out because I've heard such great things about it. Dr. Plancher, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? It's great to uh, be here, Omar. It's really my honor. And uh, I'm excited to find out what I can help you to understand and all the people that are kind enough to listen to your amazing podcast that you really bring things to their home to make it a different kind of day. Absolutely. Well, we have a fantastic orthopedic uh, audience, both reps, uh, uh, professionals and surgeons. Right. And so I kind of wanted to talk to you about like the state of orthopedics. You know, I, I looked at the agenda for the orthopedic summit. There's some really interesting uh, uh, topics being discussed. What are you most excited about? Like what in terms of orthopedics today, what are some things that come top of mind for you? So, you know, Orthopedics is what I love. I love what I do. I try to say I'm just getting started, but I've been doing it for a few years. Um, And the idea is that the technology that the industry is bringing to us is helping bring fruition for many of our patients to get back in the game and do what they want to do, whether it's climbing a mountain or just walking on the street. And so the Orthopedic Summit is a gathering of about 1,500 people uh, that I founded, but now assigned to about 16 really smart chairs that take care of each discipline and create an academic program that we're kind enough, that is CME, that 
uh, sponsored by, in the past, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and 325 faculty that come on the stage. I call it a Broadway show with some science because unlike other types of meetings, which are terrific, this meeting requires a little combat outfit. You have to have your fatigues on because the rules of engagement are you're allowed to challenge your colleague on the stage and the audience is allowed to challenge the colleague on the stage, vice versa. So colleague to colleague and registrant or delegate to the stage person. And men and women get together, experts, all of us, where we debate, we have panels, we have individual talks, we have live surgery, and the state of orthopedics is we're getting better and better for our patients right now. And I don't want to wait to find out something that happened five years ago. So one of the great analogies are someone spoke five years ago and he's completely wrong today at what he said five years ago because it changed. And so we created the Journal of Retraction and he had to start by saying, I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong. And he tells how he was wrong when he was emphatic five years ago because we've been in our 13th year. So there's a risk of obviously bringing things that are new and not sure, but the audience knows that these are people, probably early adopters uh, on the curve of Malcolm Gladwell rather than laggard. And then that's why all the debates are pro-pro. There's no con because there's no one way to take care of a patient. And you want to hear both sides and you in the audience and say, well, I never thought about that. Well, maybe he's right or maybe she's right. And we try to focus on that incredible moving target of Orthopedic Summit evolving techniques, OSET. And it makes it fun and exciting. That's amazing. And I love hearing that because I feel like the orthopedic community has really been on the forefront of making medicine better. You know, uh, one one shot is our good our good friend Ira Kirschenbaum with Joey, which is allowing orthopedic surgeons, you know, a lot of surgeons that are like my father in private practice, they're not going up on podium, but they're able to show on a weekly basis around the world to some of the greatest peers that they can find what they're doing in surgery. And so that live feedback is changing medicine in real time. The Journal of Retraction is fascinating because there is a level of intellectual honesty that we teach. You know, we learn about it in medical school and we embrace it. But once we're in practice, I think a lot of physicians, especially surgeons, are very private and protective of their egos and their brands. What do you think that does to intellectual honesty in terms of adoption and how you think about technology by having the Journal of Retraction? So uh, two thoughts on that, because that was a loaded sentence. First, the innovation that now the the ability for, as we're having this talk today, rather than being in the room where it's happening, as they say in Hamilton, um, where you have to go to a meeting, you know, the point is that these wonderful private practitioners are now being mixed in with the academicians, and many of them disagree. And so with diversity in thought comes a better thought process always. Uh, I do believe that. But I also believe it holds people honest. So you'll find if I use in the arthroplasty section, if someone is an anterior hip person and the other is a posterior hip approach and both work, then I make the posterior hip person side and demand to do it anteriorly. And I make the 
um, the anterior hip person present in a posterior fashion to feel uncomfortable. So they're never allowed, that is, I used to do it, now other people do the programming, they learned how to do it, that you must represent a position that is uncomfortable for yourself so that you understand the other person. And then you may figure out that you might change or you realize how good your position is in helping the patient. So intellectual honesty is so essential uh, to have for all of us because we should be that way in front of our patients. So it's great practice, but it's a little scary because you expose yourself. And as you expose yourself, um, that's not something we feel so comfortable as a surgeon. Yeah, I, I love that idea, though. It's kind of an idea meritocracy, because to really understand your position well, you have to be able to articulate the opposition's position. I think in, in these days, whether you look at politics or anything else, we become more tribal and less likely to kind of understand that. So I think that on a grander scale, what the Orthopedic Summit is doing is is teaching people a way of thinking. Do you think that's a big part of the, the summit is learning to learning how to think better? I think I'd like to just massage that sentence a little. I think we as an orthopedic community, we know it is not empathetic. So I think first we have to learn how to be better listeners. And I think I thought I was a good listener as a younger man, but I wasn't. And I used to think um, to evaluate a patient, you had to know the physical exam. And actually it's not. It's all in the first sentence. And so when I see patients, I say to them, what don't you like about your knee? I don't care if they came in with an MRI and I have a meniscus tear, I, I have osteoarthritis of a shoulder, I have a hip. I want to know what don't you like about it? Because if I can't fix what they don't like about their issue, it doesn't matter how beautiful I am as a surgical technician, I will fail. I will fail them emotionally. And, and orthopedics is a lot of emotion in it because it's stopping something that you're doing. We're very fortunate with some exceptions, unfortunately, of cancers in orthopedics. Short of that, it's getting you back doing the things you wanna do without the restrictions and can you get there as we all age? Or even as I just saw yesterday, an 11 year old that fell sliding into second base and he broke his thumb and mom wants to know and he wants to know, when am I back? Because I'm the star of the game. Um, and so, you know, we, there's the disappointment. So is it better listening or is it better talking? I think it's better understanding yourself to deliver it. And, and it's the test. And so when they're on stage, we do something else. Just so you know, we are on time. So as your webcast is going to shut me off at a certain time, we have two podiums. And if your talk is seven minutes, at six minutes and 59 seconds, we shut off your screen and your microphone. There's no forgiveness. You can go to a religious ceremony for it if you want. You're done. And the other screen goes up, the other light goes up, the microphone goes on, and the other person's done. And I cut off, when I was in charge years ago, a very famous person, the chairman of the Mayo Clinic, and people were, oh my God, you're, you're going to be banished from the orthopedic community. And in fact, he was so humble and said, you know, you're right, Kevin, if you can't deliver your message in your assigned time, you don't belong up there. And it's an honor to be there. He's that, and he, he's a great friend. And, um, you know, it was a great lesson for me of Dr. Mori. And uh, I will tell you that 
We love that. So people practice. I practice my talk. Presidents of the academy practice in the mirror to do it because they're too nervous. They're going to get cut off and they won't deliver their message. So yes, it's about learning how to speak, but it's also, I think, learning to listen to our colleagues on the stage um, and taking it in and not repeating. So we send letters to everyone so they know what the person in front of them is going to speak about. So there's no repetition. There's, it's always new. It's fast moving. It's hectic. Maybe that's me. They know I'm, I'm a fast person and I like it. We provide incredible food because we are not treated well, I believe, by others. And it's an opportunity to be respected. And then we have a lot of fun on the stage. And, and we have to know at the end of the day, we all respect each other because it's a little rough and tumbly. That's amazing. I love that. I want to go back to, to one of the things you talked about. Um, you know, for me, when I was in medical school, one of the parts I loved was a patient encounter. And I think maybe that was my first indication that I was, I sh I was really good at sales because a lot of selling, great selling has to do with empathy, curiosity, right? And you said that a lot of the focus should be on the first question you ask, which is what don't you like about your knee, your shoulder? Do you feel that the quality of question you ask the patient will dictate the quality of outcome you're able to deliver as a surgeon? I think absolutely. The first question and the first moment, the first 20 seconds are instrumental of making an emotional attachment with your patient, whether they will seek a second opinion, whether they will have trust. You need to build trust just in looking at the patient. If your back is worried about the electronic me medical record, you've lost the patient before you've begun. And the problem is the way we don't hold patients also accountable for that relationship, it's very difficult. How many times do you ask a patient, well, who did you see? I don't know some doctor. I make sure they know my name, whether it's Kevin, whether it's Dr. Plancher, and it's usually Kevin, that I say, hi, my name's Kevin Plancher, and that breaks the ice. I might know that they traveled somewhere and I've traveled with them, but you need to tell, they need to tell the story and you need to tell the story back in their words. And so I was trained years ago by a brilliant man. He's passed on, Michael Ehrlich at Mass General. And he would always, I call it third person removed. You dictate in the room in front of the patient. So before I leave the room, there is never a chart to be dictated. It's always happening. No different than Ortho Summit. It's on the stage. I am at Ortho Summit every day when I see my patients. They are opposite me. And I say, let's talk about it. And I will talk the plan. I said, I then told Mrs. X that I really think there are three options today. We could do X, Y, Z. And I talk in her terms so that they know what's going on to deliver the medicine. Telling a story they must tell the story. I have to tell the story back to help someone. And it gives them that they're buying in in their healthcare. They're, we are equal partners. And that's what the stage is at Ortho Summit. So when the trauma people now go into the room of the arthroplasty people, because there's a periprosthetic fracture for a total knee, I make the trauma person say, you got to put a plate on it. And I make the arthroplasty person say, no way, you put a longer stem, you can fix it like that. And suddenly we have diverse opinions 
and people sure because their training was so different but the person in the audience can say oh well maybe i can do both or maybe i have to figure out ways to do it so this year we're excited to have a war on technology we're bringing every one of the arthroplasty people that claim their navigation their ar their vr is the best they get 10 minutes to talk about what they believe is great and then ira of the journal of, uh, of joey and myself are going to moderate and ask the questions does yours do this does yours do that why should we do it is the cost a factor do you get a better outcome and we're putting it on one stage for 90 minutes so you can hear it all not in fragments so you get it in an audience in the knee sports room and everything ortho summit should be thought about six or seven individual meetings under one roof so if you're a knee sports person you're not coming to hear the spine session that occurs on thursday friday and saturday you're in your room hearing about acls meniscus multi-leg revision surgery for knee your lunch is specifically brought non-CME only about a knee sports topic. And at dinner time, five to six, because we serve you food again, it's a long day from seven in the morning. I have no sympathy for you till seven at night because there's 35 CMEs or something of that astronomical number. We're now bringing in cartilage. We're going to have a company tell you why their cartilage procedure is better than someone else in the non-CME after we've heard all the CME distributions by thought leaders in a very non-committal way. And so spine goes on, shoulder arthroplasty goes on, shoulder sports goes on, each a day a vertical leap. And that's sometimes hard for the companies because they don't know what to do because they say, I'm going to a shoulder meeting now and I'm going to spend all my money on the shoulder meeting. But the companies that realize there is an ROI, value added, because the content is there, and I always want content to drive the meeting, are very generous. Since we raise the money, we spend it, and I don't get paid. And the 990s show that. This is a course that it is really done as a labor of love, and it takes away time from family and friends. It's always five to midnight. It's all year round. It's in discussions with the faculty and communication, but it's seven meetings under one roof. And the great news is when someone then interviews, they say, I never saw him since medical school. I didn't know she was a spine surgeon. And they suddenly see people because we cross disciplines under one roof in a small area. And I also make it tight. It's like I am in New York, like a New York subway. I want you wall to wall on people. I want you uncomfortable. When you're uncomfortable, hopefully you'll be honest. I, I love that. I love that. And, you know, something I want to uh, ask you about, because I didn't realize that uh, you mentioned Dr. Michael Ehrlich was, a, was a, a mentor of yours, correct? He is the only reason I'm honored to be an orthopod. I came out of a smaller college, and so I ended up training in Boston, a very famous place. But he mentored me. I did a rotation. And for whatever reason, he gave the nod. He wrote the letter and he made it happen. And I would not be here lecturing to many other incredible people that were willing to sacrifice or speak on my behalf. And I don't want to let them down. And that's kind of the heritage of orthopedics. So, yes, Michael was the only one who would beat me up constantly and teach me 
how to be honest with your patients. And I was going to be a pediatric orthopedist. I didn't have the heart that he heart had for those really children with myelomeningocele and cerebral palsy. And so I didn't become a pediatric orthopedist, but I have the utmost honor and respect for what he did and what he allowed me to do to be here today. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I never met him, but I am familiar with him. He was, he had, you know, rather an iconic style with his bow ties and everything. This thing that I, at least I, and please correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong about this, I believe he had, he was really well known. Uh, I think he drove like, I don't know, a hundred, 120 miles every day and met with his <laughs> residents at 6am. And he was like defatigable, like up until his retirement. Is that, is that, that's my, that Michael. Yeah. Am I correct? So Michael originally was okay. a mess. I'm relieved. <laughs> I was and hoping, I was like, I hope it's the right guy. It is. And he moved, he didn't want to move, but he attained chairmanship or chair is a more appropriate word at Brown and he didn't move. So he would drive the, I don't know, it was 120 miles, but he would drive 120 miles an hour to be there <laughs> at 6 a.m. And he would drive the 50 miles from Concord to Providence or wherever that is in the state of Massachusetts. And he would be there. No different than my other mentor, Dr. Mankin, because he learned it from his mentor who was Henry Mankin, mine also, and he met at six in the morning. No different than we have a fellowship and we meet with our fellows as well. But I, I will tell you, those are the inspirational people that, whether it's a hot debate, whether it's innovation this year at Ortho Summit, we have private equity, one of the hottest topics. Do you sell your practice or not? Is it right? But I didn't want one company professing that this is it. And so we've created a pre-course of every person involved in private equity to stand up and have a 12 to six o'clock day of this is what the lawyers do. This is what the investment bankers do. This is what this company does. This is what that company does. So you can sit in the room and now be brilliant from these people. And I'm going to listen in to understand the pros and cons of is it right for me? And that's the idea. Is this right for me, this innovation, this technology? Am I okay what I'm doing? And you can do it in three days at Ortho Summit, and I'll be partial. Maybe you don't have to go to another meeting. Now that's being biased, but I'm very proud of the chairs and chairwomen that do it. And uh, you'll see we have great diversity of thought. Yeah, not to take away from the other other uh, tracks, there's some great tracks on shoulders and hips and everything. But you know, I I really like that uh, you you dedicate almost a full day to the private equity side. And just to kind of read some of the the headlines, and again, for those who are listening who haven't registered, go to the Ortho Summit website. You can check the show notes below, or just go to orthosummit.com. But some of these talks are so fascinating because I think private equity has become a really big thing in orthopedics the last few years. But a lot of conferences they cover like one or two talks. You can't do it in one or two talks. And I really appreciate the flow of the topics. I'm going to read some of these uh, uh, sessions. So top reasons why so many orthopedic groups are pursuing private equity transactions, uh, how orthopedic groups are valued in private equity deals and the role of earnings reports, second and third by private equity transactions, how to maximize your practice's value. So for me, what I love about this is, you know, and again, I'm, as you can see, I'm talking to you in my library. I'm very book on, I'm big on learning and books and wording. The title of your summit is Ortho Summit, not evolved techniques or new techniques. It's evolving techniques. How important is that theme of evolving and evolution to the Ortho Summit? 
I think we all know as a physician what we learned or what I learned when I was in medical school and residency, half of it's gone. And if I don't stay current, then it's not there. And that's why I chose in my practice to continue reading. I publish. I now am looking because I'm on a 10-year average, 20-year follow-ups on my patients. Sometimes I'm not so good to follow up a 20-year patient. Maybe I was, you know, brazen and young and moving forward, but I made some mistakes and hopefully I know how to say I'm sorry. Hopefully that's not the case, but you look at what has happened. You must evolve as a surgeon. You must continue to evolve daily. I like to say you learn something every day, a new fact. And to that, I want to add, just because there are other tracks that I don't give credit to, Due to the generosity of industry, we have a resident and fellow track that we've had now where we have about a thousand abstracts that come in, 100 of them we accept. So it's a low acceptance rate. We pay fully for the travel, for the hotel, for the registration, and they compete in a room for a top prize of cash. Because right now, I know what it was like when I was a resident. I didn't have any cash. And so the residents and fellows do that. And then they get a section because Lisa Canada leads that because we have chairs in each of these sections that are responsible for content, contracting, uh, how do you deal with a problem situation in the operating room or things. And now this year we have a new track, anyone year two through 10, and I would love you to say it, can be nominated by anyone and come completely free. So a young faculty member, and they have a separate day, just like the equity of, oh, I don't like my job, how do I switch? How, how do I have contract negotiations again? How, it's a whole section, you can read some of the titles of what we do from people that have gone through issues year through two through 10. And that I can share with you is, through the Zimmer Corporation, Zimmer Biomed has supported through a generous uh, grant um, the ability for us to bring people, the younger surgeons together. And so we love the tracks that we have, but we also love adding on evolving. An orthopedic summit has to evolve and evolve every day. And so these are some of the new things we're offering this year. That's amazing. And, and what I love, um, you know, and personally, you know, people ask me because I, I went into SaaS and tech and then I went back, you know, I came back to medicine and they say, why, why are you doing it? And it, there's this colloquialism, there's this culture we have in medicine, both between industry and the clinical side that I absolutely love, this idea of mentorship and apprenticeship. Um, the fact that you're allowing, and I'll be sure to mention this in the, at the beginning about allowing young faculty and residents, you said to, to was it to enter for free? Is that, did yeah. I say that? Oh. So yeah, so year two through 10 were nominated. Their registration, their travel is taken care of in their hotel. And so they now- oh, that's amazing. Have, can come when they really can't afford it. And I forgot to say, it's really about musculoskeletal health because we have a whole three days on physical therapists meet with athletic trainers in a separate section. They can go where they wow. want. Wow. I haven't also, heard that. I never heard that. That's yeah, amazing. So separate section. And- there's a separate section for the nurse practitioners and the physician assistants on an ultrasound course all day for anyone coming with experts. So Donnie Buford's leading that. So I could tell you, I just sit back now 
and I'm telling the story, and you're interviewing me, but you probably should interview the 16 chairs that create the content that does this. And I'm excited. It took a little life of its own, a little too big. It started with 50 people in a room 13 years ago. And the generosity of also the industry that, as I said, without it, we have no membership fee. We raise it, we spend it, and um, it's really exciting. And hopefully the content is felt to be appropriate and we evaluate, they evaluate it, the people in the audience, because it's not up to me, it's up to them. That's fantastic. By the way, yeah, Don, uh, Don Buford's been on the been on the show before. I think I've learned more about biologics just following his LinkedIn posts than I ever learned in industry or in medical school, which is a big thing to say. Um, fantastic, fantastic stuff. And again, just to kind of highlight, again, I'll, I'll tell people, go to orthosummit.com to learn about these uh, different uh, uh, sections. Yep. But just to kind of read it for the, because there's a lot of our, my audience that usually listen to this in the car. So we have advanced practice providers section, shoulder orthopraxy and sports, knee sports, young physicians, uh, leadership for it. Of course, we mentioned the private equity pre-course, outpatient total joint orthopraxy, spine neuro and ortho, um, orthopedic sports rehab, um, I th and then trauma, lower and upper extremity. I think I covered all of them. But these are great tracks. And I think that I don't want to get in trouble with other summits and conferences. I think you should go to them. But it feels like if you're going to pick one to go to, I really, and this is why I wanted to have you on my show, is the theme and the culture that's being built at Ortho Summit. Let me ask you this. For someone who's new, when they go to Ortho Summit, again, there's a theme here. Because it's not just pre presenting you know, your abstract thing. You're trying to teach people how to think and to be evolved, right? Who, who, if you take a young fellow or, or faculty member, who are you hoping they evolve into after they leave the orthopedic summit? If you can kind of describe those characteristics and values, there's, you're trying to build values here. That's why I wanted you on the show. Can you talk a little bit about that? That's a tough one. Um, we all come with our preconceived notion, but I think the first thing is you'll find that orthopedic summit requires you to be interactive. If you're just going to sit there in the back and absorb, it's probably not the right place to come because you're going to see it's going to evoke emotion. There'll be times that you're going to say, I don't believe a word what that person said on the stage, and you're going to come to the microphone and comment. And so I hope that the individual evolves with a maturation process by the end of their tracks so that they're staying in their lane because that's their niece they're a knee arthroplasty person that they've heard many talks but they've never seen the live surgery we have 13 live surgeries intermixed through the days of different areas that's a risk that the surgeon took to go live and we hope that everything goes safe passage for the patient but and it has knock on wood but i want the recipient the registrant to realize that they will take something away and the value is that small changes are what you should do in medicine. And it's rare to have a leapfrog thing, but there may be a leapfrog technology that will come across the screen that you hadn't been aware of. And so I, I try it in the exhibit hall. We serve all the food. You have to go to the exhibit hall to get fed. And so there's an interaction there that occurs that allows you to find that leapfrog technology, maybe join forces with the company. And so I think it's each individual finds different values. So the young person coming for the first time is a little intimidated because we've interviewed people. 
what he or she should get out of it. And so what I recommend is that they really engage in the exhibit hall to find out with a meaningful conversation what something is being displayed. And in the lecture halls, because they all stay day and night, uh, I'm always amazed we do counts in the rooms to make sure we're doing the right thing, that um, they bring home something to their staff. It could be how to approach the front office better because they've never even touched or spoke to their front office person. It may not be that they learned a new technique for ACL surgery or a new technique for a revision hip. So I think value added is learning respect for your colleague and we should come together. I think as orthopods, we don't realize we need to teach each other so we all benefit from it. And I hope the value proposition is my neighbor may be as smarter than me, and I'm going to suck the life out of my neighbor. And now he or she's going to teach me back and make me better. And one plus one is equal to three. I love that. You know, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm just curious your thoughts about this. If you look at the history, history of surgery, not just orthopedics, but history of surgery all the way back to the surgeon barber days, right? The culture of surgeons has been very private in the sense that I'm not going to share any of my secrets because I'm competing with this other surgeon. And that's baked in for a long time. It's hard to, it's hard to change that. Do you feel like the tide is kind of turning in that, in that sense with surgeons these days? You know, what, what are some obstacles you see that are preventing surgery from evolving and moving forward as it relates to that? I think everyone will put up um, some roadblocks. Uh, for things. I think sometimes some of the associations feel we're competing and I'm more than happy to show behind the Wizard of Oz curtain what we do and they use me. I, I sit on several boards. I've had the honor of sitting on our main uh, academy board and I have to shed my conflicts, which I'm delighted to do. I think the time is now to realize that there are so many people beating us up in medicine that if we don't all come together to help each other, because it's about the patient at the end of the day, it's really not about us. I think the time is here and I think the young um, people, because things are different when I, when I was training, you know, right or wrong, it was a 120 hour work week, it was stand up, you had no, no breaks, no things. I think we've realized that coming together and I see that as the younger, group teach me and my fellows that I have in my own practice that they want to share with each other. And I'm hoping that we do. And I'm hoping Ortho Summit sends that value proposition that we better share with each other. And I'm hoping that the associations realize I want them to be incredibly successful. I want them, if it's a research-oriented association meeting, with we're not going to compete with that. I, I don't want to compete in the same marketplace because there's plenty of room. I want them to do it. And those that really get me, and there are a few, not a lot, realize I'll be their best advocate. I will stand there and be their best advocate and say, you need to attend that because this value I can't give you. So in answer to your question, I only can hope that we would share because what was has not moved us forward. And we need to move forward and change every day. It is evolving. And if we share it, it will evolve and continue to evolve. And I'm hoping that you're right in your question. Um, absolutely. Very well said. You know, I think the magic 
of these in-person meetings, especially in terms of the ones like the Ortho Summit, is it's laying the grounds for not just a new foundation, but a new path forward and how we think and do things as a culture, as surgeons. You know, you mentioned uh, Dr. Michael Ehrlich, and then, of course, you mentioned Dr. Henry Mankin. You know, for those who don't know Dr. Mankin, I mean, these are all the shoulders of giants we're standing on. Dr. Mankin, uh, you know, uh, developed a computerized system for, for tumors, you know, as an orthopedic surgeon, right? So a lot of these great innovations and things we have in industry are thanks to these surgeons who put in that extra effort. If you don't mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of pivot here, Dr. Plancher. You know, the one thing that I walked away from medical school thinking about is the importance of mentorship. It's a big, big thing in, in, in medicine. And you men, men, mentioned these mentors that you had. I'm wondering if you feel comfortable to share. What was something that was painful that a mentor of yours, whether it was Dr. Mencken or Dr. Ehrlich or someone else, something painful that they told you but changed you for the better as a surgeon? What, what comes to mind? So I... Uh... I'm going to go to actually my first year in practice, if you don't mind, and it's going to sure. be a fifth year chief resident that took me aside. So I was first year in practice, very honored to have dual fellowship uh, in sports and joints, trauma. I did too many fellowships, let's say that. And so I was in um, the Bronx at Montefiore Medical Center. I don't think I've ever told this story. and. A resident, I'll keep the names out. It was 90 patients a day. I'd start at seven in the morning. I would end eight or nine at night. I had no secretarial help, no people that just wasn't there. They never found someone that would work that. They never found someone that really wanted to work. And it didn't matter the hours of the day that the staff would go home and I'd continue working, but I continue working with a resident. And I was very probably tired, inappropriate, and I was probably too short termed or terse with a patient. And the resident pulled me out of the room and said, you were a complete, and I'll leave the word, but it starts with A and it ends with E and it's seven letters. Uh, inappropriate, let's just say, but he was really. And I'm thinking, how dare this fifth year resident tell me I'm an attending? What is he doing? And I thought about it before I arched my back and he changed me throughout my career. I realized the next day I came in, I was a jerk and I did the wrong thing by that patient. And I was just tired and trying to move from room to room instead of listening to what the patient needed. Who really, I didn't speak the same language. It was difficult for me and it was my problem. It wasn't the patient's and I made it the patient's problem. And from that day forward, I said I would never go home or leave a room till the patient had all their issues answered. It didn't matter how long. And so, but I, my response when you say it was difficult for me, it was like, how could a resident tell me? I'm attending multiple fellowships doing it. I never had in my training with my mentors, um, I don't think I ever had to my knowledge that run-in that I needed. And um, maybe... It was different as a resident. I, um, it was a yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am kind of thing in my day. You never questioned anything. So I, I don't think I had that. But when it came to real life and I was now in charge, the most, that was very uncomfortable for me uh, to see it. And then I guess another patient, I've learned more from my patients, a very uncomfortable uh, position where a, a, a patient, um, 
really disagreed with me. I remember it vividly, but I stuck to my ground that it was very uncomfortable. It, it uh, was not a malpractice suit, but it was helping someone that didn't have a good result that was referred into me. And he thought I was protecting the other surgeon. And I really said, I'd like to get you better. And it's a very uncomfortable position because things happen, unfortunately. And he became also a good friend that he gave me. I'm not going to show it. A, it's an expression on my desk uh, that it was a saying about being nicer as a person. And he thought I was nice. And it's, it's on my desk to this day. It's, a, it's something that I have. It's a mantra. So uncomfortable situations are good. They make you grow. You have to know how to be a big boy or a big girl. And they're not comfortable, but I think they're helpful. But I always do remember that very first one by that resident that we're great friends now. And he has a free pass in life to tell me I'm a jerk any day of the year. I, I love that you shared that story. And, and it, it kind of tells me a lot about, about you and, the, and essentially the aspirations you have for Ortho Summit, which is unlike a lot of conferences, it doesn't sound like whether you're an attendee or a speaker, you can hide at Ortho Summit. It forces you to be put in these very uncomfortable public situations with your peers. But I think that's the time where we change and evolve the most, which is through pain, right? Do you feel like yeah. that's, that's a good way to put yeah. it? It is. It's a collaboration, though, with industry and thought leaders to address real-world clinical scenarios. I always think about every talk, everything you're saying is the door is opening to seeing the next patient. How is that the clinical scenario? And how am I going to deal with it? And there is an evolving way to deal with it from 13 years ago to now. But I can't do it alone. I need the patient. I need industry to help me. I need the thought leader that's smarter than me to help and guide me. And I'm going to adapt it. And I'm going to do it with seven different subspecialties running at the same time as we're running like school, like high school, the bell's going to ring and everyone's going to go to their individual room, homeroom or shoulder arthroplasty or spine, and they're going to have it. And then they're going to come together to eat and they're going to, oh my God, Kevin, I didn't know, David, how are you? And then there's going to be showcase technology in the non-on-brand, non-CME and Crossfire and hopefully at night we come together because there are social activities that we provide. And then they say they're exhausted, but they bring something, they've evolved, and then they come back the next year. That's the one thing we have. We have repeat performers. We're so honored. Once you're in, it's kind of like a club. I don't know why. I'm honored that the chairs tell me they come back. They see the similar people in the audience. And so we must be offering something in content. And I demand it because I've taken the step back. I kind of watch it and I run. I sit now in the audience just learning because I've decided I need to learn. So I go into spine. I'm not a spine surgeon. I go into trauma. I, I no longer control the content. That's amazing. And it sounds like such a such a fun time. And, you know, I, me personally, I actually just got back from Miami. Every quarter I fly to Miami there's a, a mastermind I attend of other entrepreneurs and you know, the age range is anywhere. The majority of people in this mastermind are in their twenties, but they're making uh, revenue hand over fist. And one of the things that we do is called the hot seat where we sit down and publicly share a problem we're dealing with. 
it's very vulnerable, but every time I go, I feel like I've changed. And I think that the exciting thing about the ortho summit compared to a lot of other like podium presentation, everything is that there's no glitz and glam. This is not about putting on, um, you know, like a show. It's about really getting to the source of truth as painful and uncomfortable it is, but that's where we find the best value. And again, and an opportunity to evolve, right? Otherwise we've kind of blinded ourselves with a lot of biases and glitz and glam, you know, and I think it's easy to do that in the world of surgery too. Yes. But it does take, for instance, a nurse practitioner, it does take a athletic trainer. So on the stage, we mix. So in the athletic trainers and rehab, we put some doctors and we put athletic trainers into the knee sports area. And so in the trauma area, we put a hip arthroplasty person. This year, the spine and the hip arthroplasty people are coming together to for what's called spinal pelvic obliquity. Do you fix the hip first? Do you fix the back first? And they come with very strong opinions. I don't know the right answer, but they're going to challenge each other and give their case why. And the audience is both groups in the same room. So this is cross-pollinating each half day. We do that with their different sections. You know, imagine the arthroplasty person says there's arthritis. They say, put a total knee in. And the knee sports person says, I'm going to put some cartilage preserving procedure and then there's this fight and they prove it or disprove it. And you have to read about it five years later in the journal. No, you can see it today live on the stage and they have to defend their position and they better be passionate about it. Because I'll tell you right now, if they're not passionate about it, the chairs know they're not invited back the next year. And so they vie for that position to be a faculty member. Why, why is that? Why is it that they're not, if they're not passionate enough, they're not invited back? Keep, keep, uh, share a little bit more I, about that. I think, I think, you know, you think of Charlie Brown and um, Charlie Brown with the parents behind going, where, 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 where. I don't want any where, where, where. We want something to evoke the emotion that makes you stop and think and say, oh my gosh. So my mentors evoked emotion in me. Think about what you're doing. Think about every step what you're doing when you're in an office, when you're in the operating room, when you're talking to a colleague, value the oxygen that you're utilizing in the atmosphere, they would say. And so that molecule matters. And so people sometimes aren't coming back and they, they you know, that's when the chairs throw it to me. They say, oh, you have to take care of this. This is, a, this is a very famous person. And there are some very famous persons that have never been on faculty because they're brilliant, but they don't evoke that emotion. And so we also do this year, I forgot this so much, lifetime achievements. So this year, Andy Burgess is getting a lifetime achievement in trauma. We're having Doug Dennis get something in hip arthroplasty. We're having a Joe Zuckerman getting a lifetime achievement in shoulder. These are people that are giants in our field that are still, and I don't want to wait to memorialize them. I want them and the chairs to find them now because you can touch them, you can hear them, you can see it. They're tough and they're going to be tough on the stage with the younger faculty and that's great, but they're going to be recognized. Frank Eismann is going to get it in spine. And so we have these incredible awards that we want to celebrate that Bill Harris at 95 last year got it and he was amazing on the stage to talk about it. So, and you know what? COVID didn't change anything for us. It didn't change our population. 
and we're not going to Zoom. It's in person. But if you do miss it, just so you know, we have something called OSET Encore, like the French word, and you can purchase all the lectures and things afterwards but you to appreciate it. And for anyone who attends, they're allowed access to all the lectures and debates free for one year. That's amazing. And I agree. There's something special about in-person. I mean, you can listen to a tape of Jimi Hendrix, but experiencing Jimi <laughs> Hendrix in person is, is completely different. You know, one last thing, uh, Dr. Blanchard, before we depart, you know, there's, you know, and for me, I, I noticed this many years ago, and it's really taken a lot of, uh, getting a lot of traction. This phenomenon of uh, orthopedic surgeons posting, sharing cases on LinkedIn, getting real-time feedback, it's only picked up. Can you talk a little bit more about the use of LinkedIn in terms of how it influences orthopedic practice today? So I have to admit, I was beat up by my commercial officers and, um, you know, um, the best and others um, said, you really got to be on LinkedIn. I said, why would I bother? I, I didn't understand it. And they really got me involved in social media. But I want to say that I'm not a fan of taking lots of hours away in the day that take away from the personal connections that I do. But I do now enter the conversation because I realize there are certain people that don't have what I'm fortunate enough access to fellows to teach me, younger people, um, some of the academics that I have. So if you're in an area and you don't have exposure, you need to hear the diversity of opinion. And so LinkedIn, um, Instagram for younger people, sometimes Twitter even, the, the, the conversation that crowdsources different thoughts will only help the patient at the end of the day because it gives you food for thought. It might not be thought you want, but it gives you food for thought. And so I'm very proud to be a part of that community now that touches people uh, that you see there by the grace go I, because some of the cases that are put up, I would be panicked if they came into my office. And so we owe it to help the person to say, oh my gosh, you're gonna take care of this? and don't shy away from it, and here's what I might do. But you know what? At the end of the day, if I'm not the one taking care of it, you have to respect there by the grace go I that it didn't luckily come into my doorstep. So I see it, I breathe it, and I think it's growing, and it's another form of mentorship that I could be a mentor or a colleague for it. And that's really the continuation of Ortho Summit. If LinkedIn wasn't there, that's what Ortho Summit is doing, because you'll read to your audience, you know, it's a 63-year-old lady that a mother, your mother who fell last week, it's Friday at five o'clock, and a pus is coming out of the knee. And you're going, really? And she went to the dentist the day before. So it's it's a live scenario, or it's, you know, a Wall Streeter playing in a um, a, a fantasy football weekend that tears her ro rotator cuff. And so we try to put these incredible scenarios up and you go, oh yeah, I had that. Oh, what'd you do? You know? And so, and you get a physical therapist to answer, you get a spine surgeon to answer, you get all different people that you don't realize coming into the community. So I'm a big fan of it now. I wasn't, but I became a believer 
But I will say I temper myself because I see it going down a rabbit hole to taking away that I have to devote enough time to the in-person patient. So I haven't found the right formula. So if someone out there can help me with the right formula, I'm ready for it. Uh, absolutely. And by the way, for all the uh, uh, surgeons listening, you know that you made every surgeon wince with that one case where you said, and she went to the dentist the day before. Every Everyone who understood what implication that is, they all like, oh, they went to the dentist before. <laughs> that's great. That's a board, That's a step one board question. I love that. <laughs> so, Dr. Plancher, uh, just to be respectful of your time, look, we really appreciate you spending time with us. And again, if you're a physician or clinician listening to this, number one, don't forget to unlock your CME credit, but just click the show notes below. And number two, go to the orthosummit.com, check out the, uh, the agenda and the syllabus that they have there. It's a fantastic meeting. Definitely try and attend it. But Dr. Plancher, just kind of take us home with some last, last thoughts and words to our audience. So if you're interested, I thank you, Omar, for letting me come on. I hope it was valuable for your audience. If you're interested in real-world clinical scenarios, if you want to collaborate and learn how to collaborate with industry and you want to meet some of the 325, what I think, private practitioners, academicians, healthcare providers, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, athletic trainers, physical therapists, medical technicians in the operating room, come together in collaboration and care for each other. Here, Crossfire, that you're going to disagree with, so don't get upset if you hear differing opinions. If you want to have a lot of fun, get CME, but it's a long day. This year in Boston at the Marriott Copley, next year back in Vegas, then come and try us out. Challenge our chairs that create the content. Understand there are seven or eight individual courses, whether it's outpatient ambulatory surgery center, equity, uh, buying in, if it's shoulder arthroplasty, hip and knee arthroplasty, hip sports, spine, trauma, ortho rehab, fellows, young physician leadership programs, find out if you can have it free, find out if they're educational grants, travel grants. We want to make it better that it's your opportunity to evolve ortho summit evolving techniques known as OSET is in September. It's always going to be there leading the way to try and I'm honored to be the founder, but now take a step back and let younger people run the content to try to bring things that help your patients every day. So we do a better job together caring for each other because we are a great profession and I wouldn't change it any day of my life. Wonderful. I couldn't think of a better way to, to wrap things up. Dr. Plancher, thank you so much, my audience. Thank you very much. This has been another episode of the State of MedTech. Don't forget to unlock that CME credit and go check out the Ortho Summit at orthosummit.com. I'm your host and head of state, Omar M. Khatib, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for enjoying another epic episode of the State of MedTech. If you're feeling inspired and love this episode, do us a favor, hit that subscribe button and turn notifications on so you never miss an episode. And be sure to give us five stars and write a short review because that helps more people discover this amazing community of ours. If you're a company who has a executive that you'd like to be on the show or perhaps you want to sponsor one of the episodes, shoot us an email at hello at Take care and we'll see you next time.